Oh, boy. Welcome to the Not All Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang. And for all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience who love corned beef and Kugel, we've got a great show for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And we are listening to John Jackson's breakdown from Smithsonian Folkways. It's our music today. It's a great song. And we have got a great guest today who I will introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 663rd episode. And we spoke to Smithsonian associate David Marinus about his new book on the life of Jim Thorpe. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Jenny Ashcraft, who's a historian and genealogist, about all the headlines that are in the papers, and especially those papers throughout history at newspapers.com. All wonderful stuff. If you miss those shows, you can go back and check them out along with our entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we'll read it at the end of each show. You can leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. Hey, our guest today is Smithsonian Associate Ari Weinschwig, who will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates. Coming up, but please check our website for more details about Ari Weinschwig's upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. But we have Ari Weinschwig today. Ari Weinschwig is the founding partner of Zingerman's Community of Businesses, including Zingerman's Delicatessen, Zingerman's Creamery, and Zingerman's Bakehouse. This is an amazing bunch of businesses. Google says Zingerman's is one of the iconic restaurants of Ann Arbor, Michigan. But today's interview is much bigger than just Ann Arbor, although that might be enough, but no, no, we have Ari today. And our conversation is about being your best self at work, your personal life, and the power of your beliefs. Zingerman's Delicatessen in Ann Arbor, Michigan, opened in 1982 as a traditional Jewish deli, and it was a food shop at that point that sold great stacked sandwiches and delicious baked goods. Less known is its role in building new business opportunities for others in the area, like Zing Train and the Bake School. Corned beef and kugel made the deli a local icon. But rather than plant copies of the successful enterprise everywhere, co-founding partners Ari Weinschwig and Paul Sagna took a different path. They created Zingerman's Community of Businesses, stores with their own food specialty and managing partners who replicate the Zingerman's values, which we are going to hear all about today from Ari Weinschwig. Ari Weinschwig writes books. He writes all kinds of other materials. We're going to put links up to where you can find out information about Ari and all of his newsletters from Zingerman's. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, Ari Weinschwig. Ari Weinschwig from Zingerman's, welcome to the program. Glad to be on. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. I, you know, I have heard of Zingerman's my whole life, I, I have, uh, am familiar with uh, Ann Arbor and all the great things. We're going to get into all of that. I'm looking forward to it. But w- let's start really kind of at the start. You're going to be speaking at the uh, Smithsonian Associates presentation coming up. And I wonder if you just tell us briefly about what you're going to be talking about at the uh, at the presentation. Well, I'm going to find out when they ask when Chris Wilson asked me all his good questions. So I, in a way, I don't know, but <laughs> okay. I'm going to I'm going to guess. All right, I'm going to forecast. Right. Uh, That's fair. That we're going to be talking about Zingerman's, about our history, about our approach to life, business, and food, uh, and share some of the 
rather unusual uh, belief systems that we use here and, and how we do business every day. Good. Well, thank you for that. And and yeah, I, I think that that probably is a really good place to start. You know, I think that many of my audience might be familiar with Zingerman's. They might know the name Zingerman's Deli, but it's a lot more than just a deli. So why don't you just tell us briefly about Zingerman's and its history and its founding and, and your story and role there? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Paul. So uh, I, well, we're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which for those who don't know the geography of this part of the country, uh, we're about an hour west of Detroit and about three and a half hours, four hours, maybe depending on traffic west of my hometown of Chicago. Uh, so I came here from Chicago to go to school at University of Michigan. I studied Russian history, uh, okay, which okay. is a particularly <laughs> uh, poignant, if painful thing to have in my mind right now with the state of the world. Yes, uh, yes true enough difficult uh to watch but uh i studied anarchism also and i actually write quite a bit about nowadays about the application of anarchism to progressive business so i'm guessing we'll have a little of that woven into uh chris and my conversation but uh when i graduated with my history degree there is of course as anybody who has an undergrad history degree knows nothing you can really do with an undergrad history degree except go get more degrees which is what i was supposed to do uh, but I wasn't quite ready for that. And mostly I just knew I didn't want to move back home to Chicago. And in order to facilitate that financially, I decided I would go apply at the restaurant where one of my college roommates was waiting tables. And I didn't have any particular interest in food, business, or waiting tables. I just needed enough money to pay my rent. And uh, they they interviewed me. They said they'd call. They didn't call. I waited two weeks. They still hadn't called. Uh, I went back. We applied as a busser. Waited another two weeks. They still didn't call. Went back a third time, which I now know is called emotional resilience, uh, and offered to do anything. And they offered me a job washing dishes, and I took it. So that's really how I got started. Uh, I really just lucked out because I stumbled into work that I love. I still cook every night at home uh, and also into great people. So Paul Saginaw, who uh, has been my partner in all this uh, for 40 and a half years, I was the general manager at that restaurant when I started washing dishes. He had just moved over from one of their other places that same day where he'd been the bar manager over there. And so we we both started on the same day. And uh, here we are, 44 or whatever years later, uh, still working together. So I started prepping and line cooking and managing kitchens. And I worked for that restaurant group for about four years. Uh, Paul left about halfway through that four-year stint, and he opened what's still one of the best fish markets in the country here in town with another friend named Mike Monahan. And uh, Paul and I stayed connected, and we would chat off and on about doing something. And you know, it's it's a fairly common conversation in the food world between various people, but most of most of the time, nothing ever comes from it. But anyway, I reached a point at the fall of 1981 that I would say I was sort of. I wasn't unhappy at work, but I was less and less inspired by where they were headed. They're certainly a perfectly fine company, but it wasn't in 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 the spirit of where we are now, it wasn't really where I wanted to go. So I decided I'd give two months notice. I really had no clue what was gonna come next. And uh Paul, not knowing I had given notice, happened to call me like two days later and he'd grown up in Detroit where you could get good deli food and in Chicago you could get it where I grew up, but you couldn't get it here and we had use that as an idea off and on, like I said, for a couple of years that maybe we would do a deli. So he called and that's 
I'm like, well, good timing, man. I just gave notice. <laughs> Somehow within a week, we decided we were going to open. And four and a half months later, we were open. So March 15th, 1982 is, is when we opened the doors. And uh, to answer your question quickly, we, we started with uh, two employees, 1,300 square feet, me and Paul, uh, 25 sandwiches and a little bit of what's now called specialty food. Uh, but is, at that time was mostly just called weird since extra virgin olive oil was not a topic of common conversation in the American dinner table at that time. But anyway, fast forwarding to today, uh, we have about a dozen businesses all located here in the Ann Arbor area. Uh, we only do everything once. We don't open multiple units of the same thing. Uh, and we have about 750 people working, uh, about 20 managing partners because there's partners in each business and a whole mess of other things going on. But that, that's hopefully a more than a nutshell, but at least a bag of nutshells. <laughs> well, congratulations on everything. Uh, since 1982, 44, 42 plus years. Gosh, this is really, this is an amazing business. 750 employees, as I say, much more than just a deli. I, in college, I, uh, I bust tables, you know, like so many college students. I did some food prep. I waited tables. But the restaurant business and your business, I know, has changed so much, particularly since um, COVID. I mean, I probably would not Mm -hmm. even recognize all of the things that are going on there. And I wonder how you handled all of that. I I know a little bit about that. I know a little bit about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But tell our audience a little bit about how you you really kind of changed – you know, your entire orientation, I, I suppose, during that period? Well, I wrote a pamphlet about it called Working Through Hard Times that shares a little bit of it. But I, I well, let me start at the beginning. because So uh, middle of March 2020, as is true for pretty much everybody listening probably, is roughly when the pandemic arrived. Uh, and within 10 days, we furloughed 275 people approximately, which is bad enough anywhere and a particularly painful thing when you're in an organization that's so focused on people, uh, and helping people develop, uh, you know, sales dropped to like whatever, cumulatively half at best. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty difficult. I mean, we were certainly not in bad shape when the pandemic started, but when your sales drop in half, what looked fine (laughs) all of a sudden doesn't look too good. I'm laughing now, but I wasn't laughing then. Uh, You know, thanks to a lot of collaborative work by everybody here, thanks to PPP loans, uh, we certainly uh, are still here. We didn't lose anybody. We brought everybody back over time that wanted to come back. Uh, it's been certainly challenging in terms of, you know, trying to figure out how to run restaurants without any diners inside or how to do training at Zing Train, our training business, or at Bake, our baking school, uh, that were based on in-person sessions and figure out, uh, like everybody else, like this talk that we're going to do for the Smithsonian, how to do it online. Uh, so there were lots of those things that certainly changed. I mean, in, in a way, though, I think what's most interesting is what didn't change is what didn't change over the course of the two and a half years. And I've really come to realize that uh, 
I just would say healthier organizations have better, in essence, immune systems. They're more ecologically resilient. And, and so really our, our long-term vision didn't change. Our values didn't change. Our open book management methodology didn't change. Our approaches to servant leadership, our values, our beliefs, none of that changed. And so in, in a lot of ways, it's really because imperfectly always, but so much of what we were doing is, was already working that we were able to just keep doing it, you know, and when people have spent years learning how to be kind to each other, how to work in the inevitably challenging life situations that we all work through all the time. Uh, then when the pandemic hit, it was certainly more challenging in many ways, but it, in that sense, it wasn't really any different. I mean, the, the symptoms, no pun intended, were different, but the, the, the human challenges of designing systems, of making changes, of working together collaboratively under pressure were really what people have been doing for years. Yeah, you really um, you deserve a lot of credit for all of that because I uh, can just hear in your voice how, t- how tough uh, it is to kind of talk about today. It must have just been brutal to have gone through. You use this term, you, you talk about values, and, and I wonder if you tell us a little bit about what the Zingerman values are. And, and you mentioned kindness and you know, the human challenges that come along, how to work, but maybe give us a, a sense as to some of what those Zingerman values are. Sure. So we, we wrote, we wrote what we call our guiding principles back in 1991. So I guess we were in our ninth year of business uh, and they still stand today. Uh, and they're, they're probably not that different from the values that the people listening to your show have. Uh talks about our commitment to food quality. It talks about customer service. It talks about making a great place to work, uh, being profitable in a healthy way. Uh, it talks about learning, community, et cetera. So th- those uh, are really, as you would imagine, I mean, it's our ethical commitment uh, to each other, to the community, to our customers, to our, our vendors, et cetera, about how we're going to show up. Uh, maybe more interestingly, because it's not the norm, is actually during the pandemic, we rolled out uh, our what we call our statement of beliefs. So these are, this is, I wrote a whole giant book about beliefs, uh, not religion, sports, and politics, but like what we believe about human beings, about radio shows, about uh, museums, about coffee, whatever it might be. And this is really us after a lot of work collaboratively. Uh, by many people to come to agreement on a list of 34, I think is on a list, beliefs that we commit to using. And they're not really about ethics. They're just things like that we believe asking for help is a good idea, right? So this for us is just being overt with new people when we hire them, uh, that regardless of what they learned in their family growing up, regardless of what they see uh, here on the news, regardless of what their old boss told them, here we want you to ask for help and that it's actually not asking for help that's going to get you in trouble, not the other way around. So it's just being clear with people and the understanding that the beliefs that we hold are what lead all of the decisions that we make, right? And so if people are coming in with beliefs like I did that we got from our parents or we got from the school system or we get in the news, uh, and they're not aligned with the organization's beliefs, it's going to cause a lot of tension, a lot of problems. So this is just trying to be much clearer about expectations and really to coach people and help people understand how powerful their beliefs are. And what they do out of work is none of my business. But while we're at work, this is essentially the 
uh, intellectual ingredients that we're committing to use for our decision making. The books, and you, you reference the power of beliefs in business, and you've written, you've written, you've written a lot. You, 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 you've written building a great business, being a yeah. better leader, managing ourselves, <laughs> these values. Again, I, I, you know, was in college and worked in a restaurant, but boy, I saw those guys that ran that restaurant work their tails off, and I know it is a lot of work. It's seven twenty-four. How did you get time? To write, and how did you go from kind of restauranteering to to writing all of this stuff, all the books and all the pamphlets, all the material? Well, I'm still working in the restaurant. It, you know, it's it's not either or. Uh, I wrote an essay mm-hmm. on time management, so that gives that gives a lot of what I do. It doesn't mean it works for everybody else, but uh, I mean, I, I it's not like I only write. I mean, that's sort of my extra part time job. So, but the <laughs> writing for me has been hugely helpful. Uh, it's, I didn't grow up to be a writer. I didn't intend to be a writer. I didn't intend to write. It just became more and more important, uh, for us, for, as an organization and for me in terms of my own ability to communicate and, uh, to learn because the truth is I, like I do in e-news every week, I was just editing this week's earlier this morning, uh, comes out on Wednesday afternoons, Eastern time in the U S and, Every week I learn stuff because it's pushing me to take on topics that I know something about, but I may not have expertise. It's pushing me to think things through in new ways. It's creating learning for our customers, which hopefully benefits their lives. It's creating learning for the people who work here. And in a lot of ways, it's it's succession work, too, because the culture uh, hopefully is enhanced and all of that comes out of the writing. So how do I do it physically? I type fast. I train myself out of overthinking everything and try to just get it done in a, in a good way. Uh, and to, to work on craft and work on ways to be more able to express myself creatively without over, uh, getting overly anxious, uh, that I certainly can be prone to do. Uh, and then just practice and discipline. I mean, and then, you know, it's, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a very introverted shy <laughs> person, so I don't go to parties. Uh, I gave up watching football games many years ago or whatever. <laughs> I, uh, you know, so it's, it's just prioritizing where, you know, I don't really go on social media. So none, none of those are judgments of people doing those things. It's just, for me, this is more important. Yeah, it's important stuff. I, you know, these these visions that you write about in the story of, of visioning, you know, over the course of the year, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe tell us a little bit about the story of visioning, where that came from, what inspired you to do yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Please. Yep. So visioning is a, is a process uh, to write a vision. So obviously, we did not invent the idea of vision. Uh, it's certainly something that uh, has been a part of human existence since there were human beings, I would suggest it's a natural human process, but the visioning work that we do is a, is a methodology uh, that helps us to get at what's in our hearts. Uh, It's not an exercise in market analysis or uh, opportunity cost or return on investment. Although those may influence your vision, this is really about, writing the story of our future as we want it to be. So for some people that might be working less for me right now, it's working more because I got a lot to do for some people. It might be going public or 
opening globally. For us, it's opening only in Ann Arbor. Uh, for some people, it might be about enormous wealth. For us, it's about trying to create broader uh, equity within the community of our businesses, our business community, and then within the community at large. So that I'm not judging other people for making different choices. It's just this is the chance to write the story of what we want to create. And it, it weaves together uh, real what you have in real life, emotion <laughs> and fact. Uh, so it may have some scope of what size organization you want, you know, whether it's you're doing a hundred thousand dollars a year in sales, a million in sales, 10 million, a hundred million, a billion. They're all legitimate. It's just the question is, how do you want to show up at work, right? If it's a hundred thousand, you probably have no employees. If it's a hundred million, you got a lot of employees. <laughs> it's a, you're living a different life. So this, this is really about futuring. It's about imagining what you can do and what you want to do. And in our case, it's doing it collab collaboratively and collectively so that we actually have our vision written now for the year 2032. Uh, and back to your question about the pandemic, and, it, and we had actually just finished it and we're about to roll it out at the end of March 2020. Of course, we didn't roll it out because we got a little sidetracked like everybody else by the earthquake of the pandemic, so to speak. But next the following january we did roll it out and there were no changes really i mean it was the same vision because the future we had imagined for ourselves was not contingent on wearing masks or not wearing masks on vaccinations or no vaccinations none of that was even really relevant to that future so the visioning work uh and the story as you alluded to is in the new pamphlet the story of visioning but paul and i learned it uh from stash kazmierski back in 1993 uh, he had learned this process from a guy named Ron Lippett, who was at University of Michigan in the late 50s and 60s at the Institute of Social, for Social Research. And uh, it really changed our life because the typical business thing is strategic planning and you're trying to like assess opportunities and decide what you want. But like I said, this is really coming from the heart. So it's there's no reason you need to grow. It's, it's how do you want to create your life? And it's changed my life, I could tell you that. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates programs here on KSCW, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our KSCW audience can explore our website, for more information at notold-better.com. We're with Ari Weintrigg. Ari Weintrigg is the founder of Zingerman's, a, uh, a big growing business based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ari is a writer. He is a, a business person, talks an awful lot about values in his business. He'll be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates coming up here. You can check out our website for more information about the Smithsonian Associates presentation where Ari will be speaking, as well as all of Ari's books and all of the material that Ari's prepared in anticipation of the presentation. We've got him today, but Ari, I really... Um, I just have been so interested in this this interview with you because I read about these things that to me 
you know, with regard to you and your business, like the Zing Train and the Bake School, that they're not necessarily restaurant related, although they are in kind of a broader sense, particularly the the Bake School and I'm sure the training. I think this all falls into this community of businesses that I, I read about. Tell us about Zingerman's community of businesses and, and why do that? Why do well, that work? Because we wrote a vision. I mean, so in 1994, Paul and I wrote out for the first time a vision using this format. Uh, we went 15 years in the future, so it was written for 2009. And that was our the story that we told, in essence, was to create a community of businesses uh, where instead of doing the typical multiple unit growth that is so common, and again, I'm not judging it. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't for us. Uh, we decided we would create this community of businesses here in the Ann Arbor area. I have a very strong belief in doing business in the community in which one is present as opposed to opening in places that you have minimal presence. Again, that's might work for others. Not great for me. And, uh, that each business would be a Zingerman's business, but each would have its own specialty. So this allowed us to keep what had always been very important to us, which was the uniqueness of the deli. Uh, I've never been drawn to multiple units. Uh, I'm sure people make more money doing that, but for me, it wasn't that interesting. I, I look at business more like art or music, and I'm always more interested in the originals than I am in the replicas, even if the replicas are selling more records. So, uh, this allowed us also to create opportunity for people either in the organization or from without who wanted to be managing partners because we envisioned that each business would have a, a partner on site who had a real passion for what that business did. So that's still uh, essentially carried through into the 2020 vision and into the 2032, along with many other things like love and diversity and stuff that wasn't in that first one. But uh, uh what businesses we open is really driven by the prospective partner and their passion. It's not a strategic analysis of the marketplace, although we use that certainly to filter ideas, but it's really more somebody saying like, I really want to have a training business like Maggie Bayless did in 1994, uh, which evolved into Zen training. So her passion, her love is training. Uh, she studied it. She believes in it. She is eager to engage in it. And that, is really what drove the creation of Zingtrain. That's one example. Mm-hmm. It's a good example too. Again, we're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about Zingtrain and the Bake School and all of all that Ari's doing. Should business people be willing to teach others about their businesses and their beliefs? Is that you know? I know you don't judge, and and that's not what this conversation is about at all. But I wonder, do you? proselytize you evangelize some of those subjects with other business people too well i i I think it's important for people to do what's what's right for them i mean i i would say that having zinc train and teaching has radically enhanced the quality of our own organizational work uh i i you know back to what you said about the writing it's i mean writing is essentially teaching on paper or now on a computer screen but you're you're you, one needs to be infinitely clear about what one is doing and why one is doing it in order to do the teaching. And what we learn by doing, by going through that work significantly enhances the quality of our own workplace. Uh, and, and it helps attract people to us who share our values. So the reality is just 
I will forecast who comes to the Smithsonian talk is going to be people who share our values and people who aren't interested in uh, regenerative workplaces are probably not going to log on to the class. Uh, people who are not interested in great food are not going to be coming to listen to me, me and Chris converse. People who aren't in, interested in traditional food and food history are not going to come. People who are not interested in telling a more uh, inclusive story about their future, it's not interesting to them. So Zinc Train allows us to get better at what we do. It gives us better understanding. It makes us better teachers and trainers within the organization. Uh, it enhanced the quality of the training that we do for everybody who works here. Uh, and it also draws customers to us, which, you know, again, it was started really out of Maggie's passion uh, for, for training and, and how that training passion could enhance what we were already doing. But the reality is it does bring business in. I mean, we get people from all over the country and all over the world who are, you know, come now because of the pandemic also online uh, to learn about our approaches. I just, when I'm off the call with you, I need to answer an email from a nice woman <laughs> in Slovakia who's uh, a longtime okay. Zinc Train customer and who's using our approaches in a nonprofit that she's she's helping to lead in Bratislava. Amazing stuff. Um, so I guess just final question for you: how how are all the businesses doing? You know, in, with regard to leading and sharing and teaching, how are things going post COVID? All all's well are you back where you need to be and back where you wanted to be and uh were you anticipated and, and saw the vision for well yeah i i you know many years ago i had a bunch of surgeries and i'm doing fine but <laughs> there were very long recovery periods and three or four years later people would go are you back to normal i'm like i don't even remember what normal was and plus i'm aging as a human anyway uh, you know, maybe when you're 18, you get back to normal, but you know, whatever I was at the time, 50, you don't get back. To, there's, it's hard to remember how you felt at 48 when you're 54 or whatever. So I, it's, it's, a, that's really what this feels like. I mean, I, I don't know that the pandemic is over. I mean, COVID rates seem to be just as high as they were at the height of the, the COVID rate. So that said, we're still working through these challenges. That said, so many other things have changed, like being able to do this talk on Zoom as just one tiny example in a good way that allows things to play out in somewhat different ways. That said, uh, yeah, we're relatively healthy. I mean, we've been making mistakes since the first day we opened. <laughs> Those haven't stopped. Uh, we fall short every 15 minutes. That hasn't stopped. Uh, it's always hard to do good work. I think that's true whether you're in basketball or whether you're in baking or banking. Uh, it's hard to do great work. I mean, and that's it's a, it's a hard that we embrace in the same way that a great musician or a great athlete is pushing themselves to always get better and to keep learning and growing. But in the context of so many places having closed, so many people having uh, lost a lot, uh, you know, houses, property, relationships, loved ones. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be where we are. Well, we're glad you are there and uh, hope all is well. And uh, Me too. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and thank you so much for your time. We're going to look forward to seeing you at Smithsonian Associates. But I just encourage our audience to check out the Smithsonian Associates presentation and all these links. You can find out more information about our Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be great. The the Zing Train. I I subscribed to the uh, Ari's top five. I I think those are 
This is a fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, resilience and, and all of this stuff is so important to us. But Ari, well, thank yeah, you. thank you so much for your time today. I just wrote, a, I just wrote about paradox for tomorrow's. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good work for me, and I'm glad that it's helpful to you. And if people want to reach out to me directly, they're welcome. It's just Ari at Zingerings.com. I'd be glad to try to answer questions that way, too. Thank you. We'll put that link there, too. But Ari, uh, good luck with everything, and we'll look forward to seeing you coming up here at Smithsonian Associates. But thanks so much for your generous time today for all you're doing. Oh, thank you, Paul. And I hope to see people at the event. I mean, we're I'm a, I'm a big believer in museums and in history. And Chris Wilson and I have known each other. He used to live here in Ann Arbor and work at uh, Greenfield Village in the Henry Ford Museum. So he's a wonderful guy who's also a history major. And uh, we, we will have a lot to talk about because he's been around Zingerman's for decades. And he's a very thoughtful guy. And the Smithsonian clearly is a, a wonderful cultural institution and a, a real treasure to the country. Well, thank you. Thanks for all of that and, uh, and, and for being so inspiring today. So, Ari, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, please just uh, continue on, on all this great work. Thank you. Have a great day. Our review today is from Lanny Morena, and it's dated September 13th, 2022. So just recently, Lanny Morena says, perfect. I listen to many podcast shows, and the Not Old Better show seems perfect to me. Hey, Thank you, Lanny. And my thanks to Ari Weinschweig for his generous time and his inspirational messages about life and having your own power. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on radio and podcast. Remember today's music, Breakdown from John Jackson, is from the Smithsonian Folkways list of all of their music, which we will have linked to in our website But please be well and be safe, which I'm telling you each show followed by my message to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military use and need these weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn. School. Let's eliminate assault rifles. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next week. 